Hi, everybody. My name is Ben Conrad, and this is Thinking Outside the Church podcast, where we host conversations about the modern church culture and new ways of expressing Christian community. My wife, Katie, and I are working on this podcast in hopes that it will be a resource to help spur on discussions in your own context with your congregations and your leadership teams. We'd really like to connect with you to hear about your experiences and so that we can learn from you and be as helpful as possible to you. So please reach out to us through our email or on social media with any questions or comments you might have, and you can find all of that and more in our show notes. This is episode two, and we have J.R. Briggs here with us today to talk about how we can view the church and leadership in this period of change. JR, we are so happy to have you here. Could you spend a couple of minutes just telling us about who you are, what you do, and how you got into the position that you're in now? Yeah, thanks for, for having me on here. We, uh, yeah, my story, just real briefly, the Baptists saved me, the Presbyterians discipled me, uh, an interdenominational Christian college matured me, and a non-denominational form of church messed with me, both <laughs> in good and in bad ways, and I'm grateful for all of it. So mm. I'm a bit of a theological mutt drawing from a lot of the rich streams of the Christian tradition, and I've been on staff of mega churches and church plants and house churches, uh, and I'm grateful for uh, the opportunity over the last few years to work with about 40 different denominations, oh my goodness. being exposed to the various parts of the body of Christ with their own quirks and gifts and pathologies that exist in that. But um, yeah, I was a, a, a pastor for 15 years in a local church and planted a church here in Lansdale, PA, on the north side of the Philadelphia area. And uh, there were more and more growing opportunities to be able to share with, uh, with pastors and train and equip them that we started Kairos Partnerships uh, as a way of partnering with kingdom leaders who were hungry and wanted to grow. Some of them were feeling stuck or wounded or lonely. Others were thriving but just wanted to remain healthy. So we just help leaders who want to uh, grow in being healthy and stewarding well what God's entrusted to them. So um, that includes being a part of uh, Fresh Expressions, the training team. Uh, I'm also on staff with a church planning network called the Ecclesia Network, and I'm an adjunct professor at Missio Seminary, which is in Philadelphia. So I just love being around hungry kingdom leaders who want to grow, um, and that's, that's my passion, growing fruit on other people's trees, creating good kingdom mischief, um, and really investing in others who are hungry and want to follow Jesus further and have been called to positions of leadership. So that's a little bit about a little bit about me. Thanks, Jared, for sharing and for your time on this podcast. Uh, we're really hoping that this podcast can be a resource for other kingdom leaders, and so we're really grateful that you can be a part of it. Last episode with Dr. Chris Backert, we talked about this change in church culture, which I'm sure you've experienced a lot given your involvement in church leadership. You've seen what has been happening in this church decline. We call it kind of like a decline of the Christendom mindset. So it's this idea that the church we're used to isn't necessarily reaching the people that we want to reach now. So as a result, we kind of have to wrestle with our boxes of what church is and wrestle with our definitions of what church is. And so for me, I hearken back to, well, what does the Bible say that church is? We can talk about our context, and that's a really good thing, but unless it's biblically based, then we're off-center. So drawing from your experience and from your knowledge about the Bible and Jesus and his mission, what would you say that the church is? What should it be? How does that play into what we're dealing with right now in this end of Christendom mindset, this culture shift? Yeah, well, the original word, the, the Greek word for church is ekklesia, where the root word of that is kaleo. Kaleo means to call or to call out. And so technically, the church means the called out ones. 
And uh, ecclesia meant a gathering of people, whether it was social or political. It was a very common word in the, in, in the first century. So when people just said, we're, we're going to have an ecclesia, it was like we're going to have a gathering of people, people gathering mm. together in a very generic term. So when the idea of ecclesia used as the church, it was a gathering of people, but of course with a higher purpose now of following the risen Christ. So the early church was called the church. It wasn't this title that was all that profound. Um, but what happened in those spaces was deeply profound. And so then that's where we get that rich uh, meaning now. But if you think about that idea of ecclesia and kaleo to call out, um, that means that our job is to pay attention and to listen to this God who is calling out to his people to say, are you listening? I want your attention. I want to communicate something to you. And then I want you to do and follow me after you hear me call out to you. And so that's kind of when we talk about ecclesia, that's what the original idea of the church was. So when we talk about church, we, of course, are not talking about a building, but a people. In fact, for the first 300 years of Christianity's existence, there were not even buildings. There's not a single reference in our Bibles to church being a physical edifice. It was always in reference to God's people. And so when we read things like the book of Acts or the early church, there were no seminaries, there were no denominations, no trained professionals, no church policy manuals, no pastor's conferences. They were just the gracious example of Jesus and the radical unity of his believers and the heart quickening movement of the Holy Spirit. And mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that buildings and denominations and seminaries are bad, not at all. But we have to remember that when the church was at its purest and richest, um, none of those things existed. And so when we talk about church, we have to talk about the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God, where we believe God is the king, and therefore we are his subjects, that it is not a democracy, we vote God in or out. He rules and reigns. So when we talk about the kingdom, it's the God who rules and reigns. And if that's the kingdom of God, we have to be careful because the church is not the kingdom. Hmm. Those are two different things. But we need to be, as Dallas Willard says, a beachhead of kingdom activity. So when we are being the ecclesia, not a building, but out in the world, we are the called out people of God. And, uh, and so, you know, we're not a building, uh, but we're out in the world. It's not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday. That's when we're at our healthiest, in addition to Sunday. So mm. when we live in faithful submission to God and his reign, in radical hospitality and commitment to others who are surrendered to Jesus Christ, we become the church that Jesus Christ intended us to be in its various forms, big and small churches in, uh, you know, church buildings, as we understand it traditionally, as well as in parks and catacombs and underground churches and various expression sizes, locations. But we submit to Christ as our king, the kingdom of God submitting together, and we learn to do that with others who are wanting to do the same thing. So anyway, those are just some, you know, kind of the understanding of the church in its original intent. Uh, we've, we've strayed from that a bit, but I think that's the best way we can articulate that in a short amount of time. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really encouraging for me, knowing that the numbers at least say that there's a decline in the church culture. I think that for me and quite a lot of other church leaders, that's a scary thing. It's a challenging thing. What we know to be church and what we think to be church, we view as holy and as sacred. And as a church, 
this is the body of Christ, and it seems to be dying. But it's encouraging for me to hear you say these things and to underlie that with God is active, God is real, God's church does not equate the building or the membership. Even though this part of what I view to be God's kingdom here on earth is declining, it doesn't mean that God's kingdom here on earth is declining. It's going to look different than what I'm used to, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I want to also clarify too that when we say the church is declining, we need to make sure we put some qualifiers on that because the church in North America is declining, but the church mm-hmm. around the world is thriving right now. What God is doing in, among people in South America and on the African continent, Christianity is exploding in some parts of the world. Um, and so we, yeah, we need to qualify that too, because yeah, the shift used to be North America, but now it's going to the Southern hemisphere and it's actually moving away even from the Americas in terms of the center of Christianity. So, uh, you know, sad for us a little bit in terms of our context here, but on a global side, I mean, I think there's a smile on God's face when he thinks about the church right now. Amen. Yeah. I love that framework, a smile on God's face, but even though for us in North America things are changing, we're still committed to this body of Christ. We're still committed to seeing the kingdom here. But things are changing, and that provides a lot of challenges to church leaders who are trained to lead in a certain way and in a certain context. And so a lot of things are changing, and a lot of what you deal with is training church leaders, partnering, walking alongside church leaders as they navigate these shifts and these changes. So so can you talk a little bit about what it looks like for you to foster this understanding of what a new church or a different church is going to look like? And what are some hopeful things that you've seen in that? And what are some challenges? Yeah, even though there is a decline here in North America, we like to say when we do fresh expressions trainings, we're always playing an away game. We no longer have home field advantage. Hmm. And so we just need to accept that we will always be on the road, if you will. <laughs> uh, that home field advantage happened a generation or two ago. It no longer exists. So therefore, we need to think about the visiting team in a sense. And some of the ways of training leaders is, uh, first of all, if what we're doing isn't centered around discipleship, we're missing the boat. And so if it is about us um, aligning ourselves to follow Jesus and live as if Jesus lived, if he were among us and with us today, um, I'm not sure what we're doing is, um, is church as Jesus intended. And so we have to be living out as the extension of the great commission in this. So that's the first thing. So I train and do a lot with when it comes to discipleship. How do we disciple and how do we create a culture of discipleship? Number one. Number two is an idea of um, there's a lot of unlearning that has to happen. So Alvin Toffler said that the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who read and write, um, who don't know how to read and write. It will be those that don't know how to learn, unlearn, and relearn. And so we're going to have to have a flexibility and uh, a willingness to think differently than we've thought before. And uh, sometimes when I meet with students or coach leaders, I'll ask them, so what are you learning? And I remember one gentleman said, I'm not learning anything, but I'll tell you, I'm unlearning a whole bunch of things of how not to do it. And Mm -hmm. some really anemic understandings of what ministry is. And, uh, And I was encouraged by that, I really was. So a lot of this is like looking at our paradigms, unlearning, relearning, being reminded, what is church actually? And then uh, how do we translate that uh, into our context today? The other thing is teaching people how to be missionaries. A phrase we use at our church is teaching people to be missionaries cleverly disguised as good neighbors. Uh, just as if, uh, if God had called me 
and my family to move to uh, Myanmar and to plant a church there, what would I do? Well, I probably should learn the language. I probably should learn the customs, learn to eat the food, enjoy the food, get to know the people on the ground there, understand what's important to the Myanmar people. Well, God hasn't called me to Myanmar, but he has called me to Lansdale, Pennsylvania, of which I take those exact same principles and say, I've got to learn the language of the people here. What are the foods? What are the customs? What are the things they care about? What do they mourn? How do I enter into that? So I have to exegete the scriptures, but also have to exegete the culture in which I'm sent into because the locals always know more than I do. So I come in with a humble posture of watching and learning and listening. And I think we can learn a lot through the principles of Paul at Mars Hill in Acts 17. And uh, so what he did to observe and watch and listen and ask questions, he quoted their poets. Uh, he's entering into their ways of life. Um, and then, and only then, is there enough curiosity and trust built for him to proclaim the good news of Jesus. So it's training people how to do that. And I would recommend a book, Ben, um, uh, called Canoeing the Mountains by Todd Bolsinger. Hmm. It's one of my favorite books on this topic. And Todd will actually be at our Fresh Expressions National Gathering this year. And uh, I'm really excited he's going to be back. He's spoken in the past. But uh, uh, it's such a fascinating book and an important book for all church leaders to read about adaptability, perseverance, creativity uh, in the midst of wanting to uh, create a, a culture of discipleship. So those are the lot, a lot of the topics that we, when I'm training pastors, whether it's coaching or teaching or writing or speaking, um, that are really important in this new phase of post Christian <laughs> So does this tie into what you're doing with your current dissertation topic? You're researching question-based leadership, and you said one of the first things you do is you go and ask these questions, what's important? Yeah, that, the dissertation is on training kingdom leaders how to ask better questions for the sake of the kingdom. And so absolutely, um, we live in a world where there's too much information. We're two clicks away from all the information we need on a little app in our pocket called Google. And the Google machine is going to give us all that we need whenever we need it as quickly as we want it. Um, so we are not lacking information. We are lacking wonder and curiosity. We're lacking wisdom to know what to do with all this information. We can't possibly learn and retain all that we have. So how do we narrow down what we need to know and how we need to apply it? And so question asking does a lot. It sparks curiosity. It helps us think creatively. It creates a bond of trust and humility. When I really ask questions, I'm connecting with people. And so trust is built. Um, so there's a lot of benefits uh, to questions. And there should be no surprise that Jesus employed of his teaching models. The, one of the three main models that he used in his pedagogy uh, was asking questions. The other two were telling stories and taking people on field trips, quite literally. And, um, and so we, we don't often think in questions, especially as Christian leaders, because leadership is assumed that you've got all the answers. You're the answer person, not the question supplier. And so we are in a state where we really need to flip that and utilize those tools that Jesus used called questions, of which he asked over 300 of them. Uh, recorded in the Gospels. Uh, he's asked a lot. He's asked over 180 questions, and he only directly answers five of those questions, which is fascinating to me. 
but he knew the power of questions in cultivating participation and wonder and creativity and curiosity and trust and connection with people. So it does, it does tie in uh, in terms of training. And I'm committed for the next few decades that I have left of working and serving and ministering of training kingdom leaders how to ask better questions for the sake of the kingdom and, and God's mission. So do you have like a short list of these are my favorite questions that seem to always produce the best results? Yeah, I'm asked that quite a bit. Part of it depends on the audience that I'm okay. in, right? Mm-hmm. So questions, if I'm talking with God, uh, if, it, if it's in prayer, there's a certain set of questions I love to ask. If I'm talking with my wife or someone that I know really well, there's a good set of questions. With strangers that I meet at a party, there's a whole another set of questions. So part of it is what context am I in? What is my motive in asking the question? What is my purpose in even wanting to ask the question? So there's a whole bunch of questions behind the questions, not to get too mm. meta here on you, Ben, but. <laughs> mm. That's incredible. So that challenges what I think I believe church to be as well, because church to me, you know, it looks like Sunday morning. It looks like somebody getting up in the pulpit and not really asking a whole lot of questions, but rather saying, here are the answers to a bunch of questions you didn't ask. And it changes a, a relational aspect of what I think church looks like. And it changes a cornerstone. I would say that if you were to ask me, what does the church need? One of the first things that would come to my mind is like, oh, well, we need somebody to tell us about the Bible. And maybe that's true. Maybe that should happen, not just in a sermon setting, but in discussions and small groups. We should be asking these questions and wrestling with them. Absolutely. In fact, you know, and there are a lot of ways we can teach the Bible through questions. Um, there's something called chavruta, which is a Hebrew word that means friendship or conversation partner. And it's used in Jewish yeshiva or Jewish seminaries. And I think we as Christians can learn a lot about this, of using questions to read and teach the Bible. And here's how they do it. They would take a passage. And I remember I took a class I studied in Israel in college for a semester at, at Jerusalem University College. I had a rabbi as a professor on Friday mornings for Jewish thought and practice. And he said, we're going to look at the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac in Genesis. And he said, here's your assignment. I want you to read that chapter. I want you to read that story this week. And I want you to write your name at the top of a paper. And I want you to generate 100 questions about the story. And he said, here's the deal. The only way I fail you is if you put answers on that paper that you turn in. I just want 100 questions. And he said, it may be hard for you because, you know, you evangelicals, this is really hard. Like you haven't done this before. And he said, if you were my Jewish students, I'd require 300, but I'm letting you off the hook and only allowing you to have a hundred. Uh, and if you need to talk with your other classmates this week, you can do that too. And I'll tell you, Ben, I, since that happened, that assignment, learned more through that one assignment about asking questions about the text, not questioning as in doubting, but genuine curiosity and wonder about the passage learn more in that passage than any other time or any other sermon I've ever heard on that story. Um, And so there's so much we can do with that idea of chavruta, of just asking questions about the text. And, um, and that's not a scary thing. Um, That's, that's not, I think our idea of reading the Bible is often we go to a museum and it stays behind glass and we don't touch it. And we read the little placard about what's behind, you know, the artifacts behind the glass. But in a Jewish mindset, how they wrestle with scripture was like a children's museum. Touch it, play with it, throw it around, wrestle with it, uh, pull it and stretch it apart, pull it apart, put it back together again. Both are forms of learning in a museum. 
Uh, one says don't touch, the other says please touch. In fact, the Children's Museum of Philadelphia is called the Please Touch Museum. Uh, please, like get your hands all over it. And I think we need to shift when reading our Bible from visiting the sterile museum to actually going to a please touch museum like children, which, oh yeah, Jesus said that unless we become like little children, we don't inherit the kingdom of God. So I think there's something there for us uh, to do, which doesn't cheapen it. It actually makes it more reverential and more important and significant for me to wrestle with scripture that way, where I touch it and feel it and twist it around and actually in a tactile way interact with it. I think that's where we can learn a lot from our Jewish friends. I really like the idea of the church being a please touch museum. I wonder what that would look like in different contexts. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. That's a great question, Ben. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, just to close up the conversation. So you've probably had these conversations with leaders all around the world, and I'd love to hear some things that have made you really hopeful for the future of the church. What have you experienced that makes you excited for the future of the church? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. Um, there's a lot, even though there's a decline. And I think in many ways, um, because we haven't lived up to um, the ways of Jesus and how we live that out, I think, in, you know, we need to own that to start. And Michael Gerson said, when the people of Jesus act like Jesus, our authority returns to us, but not until then. And I think there's a lot to that. But I am, even though we're at this place we are, I'm not hopeful. I'm not panicking. I'm not running into the corner, sticking my head in the proverbial sand. I am hopeful, and the reason being is that those who are serious about their faith are even more serious now, which is wonderful, plus scarcity brings clarity, and when there's less, it makes us more clear of what is it we're after, and there's a group of people who are really trying to dream and think about what is it that the kingdom of God is about, how do we bring the kingdom of God or seek the kingdom of God in our zip codes? How do we be those missionaries cleverly disguised as good neighbors and, you know, doctors and plumbers and bread truck delivery people and, you know, all sorts of things. That's hopeful to me of these conversations. And one of the reasons I'm involved with Fresh Expressions is because I'm in it for the stories. And there are story after story after story that keep popping up within Fresh Expressions about what God is doing through these new movements and these new works of the Spirit. And uh, I love that it's not territorial or one denomination. And I love that it's all sorts of people who are seeing God surprise us. So I'm hopeful because the tomb is still empty, uh, number one. And I'm also hopeful because the Spirit is really, the Holy Spirit is really bad at the status quo, but the Spirit is really good at surprising us with fresh things. And uh, that makes me expectant. That makes me hopeful. And uh, I, I love that. So for me, there's a peeking over the hedges of kind of what, what is the spirit going to do this week, this month, this year, this season of the church? And so um, there is a, a little bit of a dying off and a, and a resurrection. But uh, I think that's the whole point of this Christian uh, tradition is the idea of resurrection, death and new birth and rebirth. And uh, so I'm very hopeful because of the stories. I'm in it for the stories. I will always be in it for the stories. And uh, I don't uh, see God wanting to uh, end those stories of regeneration and renewal and redemption from happening. Hmm, that's incredible. Uh, before we sign up today, I do want to ask, you have quite a lot of resources that you've helped generate as well, and whether that be your podcast or some books that you've helped write. Uh, and so for those who want to dig a little deeper, how can they get in contact with either you or the Kairos Partnership? 
where can they find the material that you're helping to produce? Yeah, I, mean, I think the easiest thing would be uh, is kairospartnerships.org. I know kairos is kind of a goofy word. It's that Greek word for time. So it's K-A-I-R-O-S, partnerships.org. Uh, and so you can find me there. I'm also on Twitter, J-R underscore Briggs. I would love to interact with anybody and further the conversation on this. But yeah, there are resources there um, that you can see a lot of free resources. And there's also some op opportunities to uh, purchase some resources if that's of some help. But also, I'd say that the Fresh Expressions US website really um, has a ton of resources as well that I would highly recommend. And uh, many people have found them to be very helpful as they wrestle through what does post-Christendom uh, church expression look like moving forward. Um, and then, yeah, you mentioned the podcast. Uh, I have the privilege of co-hosting a podcast called The Monday Morning Pastor. And uh, if if uh, there are any of our uh, church leaders out there that are struggling on Mondays, Mondays are the hardest days for uh, vocational uh, pastors. And so we try to provide a raw but honest and hope-filled space for them to be able to connect there. Um, so uh, we also have a whole bunch of non-pastors that listen too, which has been surprising and pleasant and wonderful as well. But those would be some resources if people wanted to further the conversation, uh, to look for further equipping or even connect with me personally. Is there any topic or question, a subject that we haven't really talked about today that you would like to touch on before we sign off? Anything that we didn't explain that you'd really like to put before our listeners today? Um, it, it, was, it was a fascinating question is what does the church look like in 20 years? Uh, so if we enter into this post-Christian demand, what does that look like? And so our team together spent a few hours wrestling with the sociological, ecclesiological, and missiological uh, implications of that. Those are kind of big words, but there's, what does this mean for how we interact with others? What does this mean for how we think about church? And what does this mean as how we join God in his mission? And so we, we developed some of those that just real briefly, I can kind of bullet point some of those, Ben, if that's of some help. Um, but sociologically, how we interact with others, um, we really believe that people and churches will become more digital and less digital at the same time, as there's an increased desire for an analog reality as more and more people are on their screens. Uh, the people um, trying to navigate shame with people will be one of the greatest forces of evangelistic inroads in people's lives. Um, and that rented and shared church building spaces will become more and more commonplace um, and a growing longing for people to return to the roots of their childhood. We're, we're already beginning to see that culturally, but I think people will long for that more. Um, and then on, on an ecclesiological side, what does this mean for church? A greater emphasis on sort of practice-based faith not just what we believe, orthodoxy, but what we, how we live, orthopraxy. And um, I, I think church size will be more polarized as well. I think we'll see large churches get even larger, and small churches maybe even get smaller. But that middle, won't, uh, we won't see as many mid-sized churches. But that we'll see networks of people who care less about denominations and more about affiliation of joining God and his mission not that there's not a role for that, but I think it will be a diminished role. Um, and I, lastly, I just think this is a Daniel moment for the church moving forward. I think the book of Daniel will become more and more important in the life of uh, a serious follower of Jesus, of realizing that we are in exile. Uh, we are not at home anymore. And our faithfulness, even in the midst of difficulty, will be uh, that much more important as we try to honor Jesus. So anyway, those are just a few of the things that as we think about the church in the next 20 years, those were 
some things our team had, had generated that still continue to roll around in my head. And, uh, and I'm excited to see what the Lord does moving forward when it comes to the church. Thanks for listening to Thinking Outside the Church podcast. We would like to thank J.R. Briggs for being on the show today. Ben Conrad hosts the show while I, Katie Conrad, produce and edit the show. Please rate us on iTunes and leave a review with what you liked. You can also like us on Facebook and send us any questions you may have. This episode was done in partnership with Fresh Expressions US, and this is an organization that is really clued in to the changing church culture, and it's embracing this change as a hopeful opportunity for the Big C Church in America. And Fresh Expressions is hosting a national gathering to help church leaders address the complex social realities of the future on April 1st through April 3rd in Reston, Virginia. My wife and I will be attending, And if you are planning on going, feel free to come up and introduce yourself. We'd love to talk about the podcast, about your ideas, your experiences, and get to learn from you. Also, most, if not all of the people who were uh, interviewed on these first five episodes will also be at the Fresh Expression National Gathering. So it's a wonderful opportunity to get to learn from them. And you can register and find out more about that at fxng2020.org. To learn more about Fresh Expressions, visit freshexpressionsus.org.